Look, up on the slopes. What is that? Well, it looks like a pair of cross-country skiers going downhill. No, it must be some alpine skiers with broken bindings. Wait, on closer inspection, it's... Those Telly Guys. Hello to another episode of Those Telly Guys. I'm one of your hosts, Rich, and I'm joined by Morgan as always. Morgs, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Rich. How are you? Good, thanks. And uh, today's episode is going to be a little bit different, of course. We are not going to have the usual segments because we've got a special guest, Morgan. Who is that? Uh, well, tonight, Rich, we're joined by uh, Adam West from Avalanche Australia. So, g'day, Adam. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, not too bad. And uh, first question off the, the rank there, Adam, how's the snow up in New South Wales? We're struggling down here in Victoria. Yeah, we, we had some snow start, uh, some rain start on Sunday and uh, I was out doing ops to, but today. So the, the sky turned blue today and warmed up a bit. So I went out and did some obs and it uh, looks like we've lost about 60 centimetres of snow power. So uh, um, it's probably trending the same way as Victoria, I'd say. <laughs> wow, unbelievable. But, um, yeah, so it wasn't a great event for us up here. Um, it has... Uh, got rid of some dodgy layers that were buried down in the snowpack, but uh, we'll pray for some rain, uh, some snow and build it back up again. Yeah, you talk about losing uh, 60 centimetres there, Adam. Obviously, we didn't have the same sort of rain event uh, that sort of impacted that southern part of New South Wales down here in Victoria. Was that all associated with that huge low-pressure system that brought all the rain to sort of the central coast of New South Wales and the, and the south coast parts? Yeah, that is that East Coast low is um, struck again, and we had some weather coming in from the south, southeast. Yeah, and unfortunately, it, it rained pretty solid for three days. Uh, yeah, there's two ways to look at it: it's either it's mended the snowpack or it's uh, reduced its thickness. So, you know, it was probably something that needed to happen, but probably not to that extent. <laughs> yeah, you talk about you talk about losing sixty centimeters there, but <laughs> if that had happened in Victoria, then would be back down to uh, absolutely nothing, I think. <laughs> yeah. <'Cause... laughs> yeah, we went from about a metre 20 down to about 60, so 60 to 40. So, yeah, we lost 50% of the snowpack. But, you know, it's hopefully going to build a nice strong layer when uh, the temperatures drop off again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's good to talk about snow. And uh, it's certainly sad that New South Wales has lost a bit after having that monumental dump. But we got you on the show, Adam, to talk about Avalanche Australia because we're kind of interested how that all came to be. But um, our first kind of question is your history. What's your relationship with the Alps and, and how did you get into snowboarding? And I believe you have something to do with Splitfest as well. Like where did it all begin? Yeah, so I was living in Europe in the late 90s and prior to Going over there, I wasn't really interested in the alpine areas. Um, I was a surfboard shaper, lived on the northern beaches and lived the snow, the, the, the surfing culture more than the snow coach culture. And I uh, got a phone call from my parents saying that my dive buddy, uh, the guy I used to scuba dive with a lot, was one of the four guys that died in the Threadbow Snow Cave accident. And, um, yeah, in 99, I booked a ski holiday over in Italy and, Thought I'd go and check out this uh, ski thing that claimed his life. So, um, rented a snowboard, got the chairlift up, and you know was hooked on the first day. Sort of like surfing 
where it's strapped to your feet and you can't really fall off. So I uh, came back to Australia and um, did a few weekends at Perisher and bought a ticket to Canada and went over and skied and snowboarded in Fernie and saw these guys on these strange snowboards that split in half. And when I came back to Australia, I cut my snowboard in half in the surfboard factory and uh, made a split board. And, uh, yeah, went went from there. When you saw that some the split board thing happening in Canada, what, what year was that? Because obviously yeah. in the last uh, maybe 10 years, it's kind of become a thing now, but I suppose that was a little while ago? Yeah, 2000 that was. Yeah, I came back to Australia and cut my board in half and rang up the guys at Vole in, in the US and ordered all the bits and pieces and uh, cut it in the factory and put all the resin and epoxy in it and off I went. And uh, from there it sort of escalated. You know, a few mates said, can you cut my board in half? And then started importing all this split board gear, all the bindings and skins and, and boards into Australia there. And I uh, started a company called First, well, my surfboard company was called First Light Surfboard. So I just started First Light Snowboards. And uh, yeah, it took off. And then uh, I think in 2012, we started Split Fest Down Under. It was really a marketing event for the importing company. So we've been running that now for eight years. I think it's the ninth year this year. And a couple of years ago, I got fed up with overdrafts and garages full of old stock and sold all my agencies to a large snowboard shop down here in Jindabyne and, um, yeah, got into the backcountry more as a trainer than as an importer. So to get into training in terms of backcountry access, uh, avalanche training, what sort of hurdles did you have to overcome to be, I guess, a qualified trainer in Australia? Yeah, so when I used to sell the um, splitboard gear to clients, I would take them out into the backcountry and um, show them how to use it for the day. And uh, National Parks cottoned onto this and uh, made a commercial license to take people out and show them how to use the equipment. And then uh, from there, um, people wanted to learn more than just how to skin up the hill and transition. So um, I took myself over to Canada and did my um, Canadian Avalanche Association training and uh, came back to Australia and started up a company and became an Avalanche Canada provider in Australia. And uh, that allowed us to deliver the Avalanche Canada training in Australia. Um, and it all snowboarded from there. So, so when you're about bringing this, this Avalanche training into Australia, Adam, um, was, that a, was that a very common thing in Australia? And I guess how, how have you sort of seen the rise of Avalanche awareness in, in Australian um, sort of snow circles? Yeah, so there was no one um, based in Australia running avalanche training. Uh, there were there was an Aussie guy coming over from Japan every year and running a few courses, but you know he might have had ten or fifteen people a year that he trained. So we were the first company to have uh, uh, been a Australian provider of that avalanche training. And yeah, look, in the first year we probably trained about, about thirty people. And this year we'll probably train about 250 people. So we're seeing a huge increase in the demand for uh, people wanting to behave safely in the Alpine, Um, not only here in Australia, but for when they travel overseas and go to countries like New Zealand, Japan, Canada, Europe, uh, where the mountains are a lot more uh, dangerous to ski in. For sure, yeah. 
Was there something, Adam, that kind of spiked people's interest in training for avalanches in Australia? Is this a recognisable moment in the last, say, 10 years that got people coming in to seek training? Because I guess before, you know, I got into backcountry skiing, or even when I did get into backcountry skiing, it was a few years where people kind of nonchalantly kind of shrugged off, you know, avalanche risk and stuff like that. But it seems now that there's people really taking it seriously. And I'm just curious if there's a moment throughout history that has kind of made people be more aware of it. Yeah, I don't think there was a defining moment where there was like a a, large, a, a, a big fatality or, a, you know, a well-known athlete or something like that. But I think the rise of the pro world where, you know, social media, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, content being loaded up with people skiing in these advanced uh, mountains um, and everyone's sort of like wanting to go and, you know, do the same thing with their GoPro. Um, and then there's, you know, a lot of the movies in the early days weren't showing avalanches in the movies, um, but it's good to see now that a lot of the, the major films that are getting released actually show some sections where people do get caught in slides while they're filming just to, you know, bring it home that, you know, it, you can be one of the world's best athletes and still get caught in a slide. So I think that revolution of, you know, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube um, has made it more apparent that if you do go and ski in avalanche terrain, which is uh, if you go on the wrong day, you're going to get caught in avalanche. So, yeah, maybe social media was the, the thing that tipped it on. I'm interested to know what your typical client would look like as well that's coming through the door are you, are you seeing a lot of people that have had experience skiing in the resorts or is it you know a lot of people that have done a lot of cross-country training or and i guess this would surprise me if this was a thing as well but you know is it just a lot of people um that never skied before like i'm just interested across the board you know our national parks mm. getting involved to just come and see what it's all about as well with no snow experience yeah so what's what's the general clientele well, look, we're generally finding that it's the younger people uh, that are travelling. So maybe those that haven't had kids yet that have got a good disposable income that travel <laughs> the world. Um, we, we find that, you know, the average age is probably somewhere from like 25 to 35. It, it's good to see that it's quite varied. We have a good mix of men and women doing the course. And it's good to see also that the groups that travel regularly, so, the, you know, that go on lads trips or... Um, families that travel are all coming and doing the training at the same time. So they're aware of each other's skill sets and, you know, they know that they can rely on the other person that they have the same level of training that, that they have. So I think the, uh, the information is now out there where people realise that, you know, maybe that skiing in Australia is quite a safe environment, but once you jump on that plane and go over to these other countries with big snowparks and steeper terrain, that you're going to get yourself into trouble if you duck the ropes and, and go into that slack country back country environment yeah and just um something that i've that i think about sometimes and it's it's uh, i guess just sort of brought it to the front of my mind then when you've been speaking about that the difference between i guess the terrain in australia and other parts of the world um that people like to go skiing and snowboarding in um like how do you how do you find that when delivering i guess the training and the content to people that come and do avalanche training with you like is there like I'm sure you're obviously very aware of the, the the nuances and 
you know, the fine details and the differences between the snow conditions in Australia and other parts of the world. Like, obviously, there's some sort of crossover, but how do you find, like, delivering um, avalanche training in an Australian um, alpine setting? Yeah, so, I mean, the course is um, designed and um, primarily that way to be delivered in Canada, um, but it, it is delivered globally, so it is delivered in other countries like, you know, South America, Japan, um, Australia, New Zealand. So there are other providers providing it outside of the Canadian area. Um, we, we do add some local content photos. So we do, you know, we do have avalanche train in Australia. It's not that easy to get to. Um, so you're not going to get a lot of the punters ducking the ropes and getting stuck in avalanche train. You do have to do a fair bit of walking to find that steeper, more advanced terrain. But, you know, people are out there searching for it. And, um, you know, there's, there's clear guidelines on how you classify terrain. It's, it's a standard way of determining what is and what isn't simple, challenging or complex terrain, as we call it. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're skiing in Australia or Japan or Canada, the terrain classification is the same. Um, the only difference in Australia is our snowpack is probably thinner and um, probably a lot more of what we call a maritime snowpack, so it's a lot stickier similar to a, the snowpack in places like Whistler and places like that, which are close to the ocean. So we have a, a sticky, wet uh, snowpack, which is, is, is a good thing. Um, but, yeah, it, um, yeah, the Aussie snowpack could be very similar to the Alaskan or the, the, the snow you find in Whistler. So um, it doesn't really matter where you are. Um, you've got to understand that the snowpacks in Australia and New Zealand and Japan and Canada are all going to be different and how do you behave in those environments is all down to, you know, how well you learn and what training you do. Having said that, you're talking about you having to wander pretty far afield to find avalanche train in Australia, outside of the resort anyway. So what is one of the biggest risks that you kind of try and pass on to uh, participants of your courses about hazards in the Australian backcountry? Um, other than avalanches? Yeah, I mean, you know, the biggest risk, the, the biggest factors which get people into trouble are what we call the human factors. So that's the, you know, the things that we do as humans to make make stupid decisions. Um, but things outside of avalanches in Australia that are going to get you in trouble is probably more most likely, you know, visibility can turn terrible very quickly in the Alps. Um, so being able to navigate or, you know, use a GPS or, you know, not venture too far afield. Um, there's, there's obvious things like ice. The, uh, the Alpine is quite windscoured. Whenever we get a lot of snow in Australia, it typically comes with ferocious wind. So the, the windward slopes are generally hard and, and icy. So falling on the ice, you, you risk getting ice burn and, you know, hurting yourself from hitting hard surfaces. So outside of avalanches, I'd say that navigation or, or poor visibility and, and ice would be the two other major contributors to, you know, injuries or issues in the backcountry. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's something we've um, heard other people bring up as well in past episodes, the, the ice in the Australian backcountry is certainly something to be aware yeah. of. Yeah, a good set of crampons will get you out of trouble on, on the right day. Uh, a lot of the season backcountry guys have always got either a set of ski or boot crampons in their packs and when you need them, you, you'll be glad you carried them out there that day. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. And that brings up another question I'd like to ask. 
in terms of you providing training. On the topic of crampons, I carry those for my skis. They attach to my skis. They're fantastic. Certainly get me out of icy climbs pretty easily. But, you know, others have, have looked at those and have always said, you know, this is Australia. Why would you need those crampons? That's ridiculous. You're just carrying stuff you don't need. But do you get that sort of attitude towards you, you as a trainer um, when others are kind of uh, chipping in their two cents about um, Australian ski conditions and, and, and whatnot? Is that kind of that kind of old backwards sort of thinking that you hear quite often or is it yeah. pretty progressive now? No, I mean, I think a lot of the old the old gatekeepers for the backcountry, uh, you know, think that the whole avalanche training thing is only about understanding avalanches. I would say with the course that we deliver from Avalanche Canada, it's probably only 20% of the course content is on avalanches. Um, 80% of it is about human factors and uh, managing terrain and how you behave in terrain in the backcountry. Um, so route choice selection, navigation, you know, safe spots, you know, tour, how you manage the group size, the spacing, all that stuff. So I think avalanche training is sort of in some circles is a swear, you know, it's a bad word because I just think we just sit there and talk about crystals and layers and, and slab avalanches when the course is a lot more, it's more about uh, backcountry etiquette, you know, where do you tour and uh, where do you sit and have lunch and staying on the high ground and spacing out and all that stuff is... Um, probably more of what's delivered in the training than worrying about slab avalanches and wet, loose and, you know, dry and hard avalanches and stuff like that. So that, that is a section of the training, but the majority of the training is about human human factors and terrain management. Yeah, which is all really important stuff. Um, yeah, whenever you're venturing into the backcountry, I suppose it's, yeah, that's really awesome to hear that that's the sort of content that's being delivered and, you know, it would be like you say, you've got, you know, 200 plus people doing it this year and, you know, which is a huge increase from, um, you know, from previous years. So I guess hopefully in the future, you'd be hoping that people might think of it as, you know, like a, a first aid course that you might do before you go bushwalking. You know, it's just something that, that you do before you go and sort of put yourself, you know, out in the back country. Yeah, look, a lot of the, um, you know, you will see a lot of, there's a lot of user groups on the social media now, Australian Backcountry and Split Borders Australia and groups like that where you get a lot of people that are just starting out and it's great to see that when they put the posts out looking for tour partners, 99% of them say, I've done my AST1, I've got all my AVI gear and, um, you know, I'm looking for tour partners. So it's almost like a prerequisite now that, if you're looking for tour buddies and you can prove that you've done some sort of safety training and you have the right equipment, um, it's almost a shoe in to find partners willing to go out ski touring with you and you're not going to be a liability on the mountain if something goes wrong. So it's good that the culture in Australia is, is changing from probably what it was five years ago where, you know, the old gatekeepers were all about maps and PLBs and, you don't need to wear beacons in Australia because it doesn't avalanche. I think that culture is slowly changing. Um, you do get the odd arguments on social media of saying that you know it's all of, it's fear mongering and they're just gouging for money. But you know if we can save one person's life, whether it be in Australia or overseas, when they go on a holiday, our job is done. You know that's what we're here to do is keep people alive and go skiing another day. Yeah, well, just just that point about people holidaying again. Yeah, like. I guess it's a it's sort of a pretty well known fact that Australians are quite 
well traveled and you know it seems to me when i've been on overseas trips in you know north america or japan there's always plenty of other antipodeans out there so yeah you know it's all it's all good knowledge it's all it's all good experience yeah and it's certainly opened up a whole bunch of discussions uh, whilst i've been out in the backcountry too about certain gear and certain training and and uh it's always been a healthy not debate but discussion and allowing each other to justify um, a different view upon safety i suppose and and you're right adam i think it is um starting to change for sure and not that i can you know be a person with a, a broad view of only been doing a backcountry skiing for you know a handful of years compared to someone like yourself but even in my time i'd say it's certainly changed and uh, i believe that's a reflection of people like yourself doing these various courses around the country but um speaking of that i was wondering just a kind of broad overview of the course itself you know, what does it look like is it you know a three-day thing or is it something people can do on a weekend and you know, what do they have to be prepared for and what items do they need to bring? Yeah. So, look, the course is a two-day – the AST1, Avalanche Safety Training Level 1, is a it's a two-day course. There's one day of theory in the classroom and then there's one day of practical in the field. The requirement for your skiing ability isn't really an issue. Um, I mean, we train SCS and they do the course on snowshoes, so – um, it's not like you have to be a gun skier. The better you ski, obviously, the quicker it is to move around the mountain. But, you know, there's it's a two-day course. Um, we normally run them on weekends because that's when most of the clientele are available. Um, but we do run midweek courses. And you will need a beacon shovel probe to do the course. And that's pretty much a, a prerequisite from then moving into the backcountry as a recreationist. It's sort of it's the minimum set of equipment like surfing. You need a board and a wetsuit and a leg rope and some wax. Um, you know, backcountry skiing or snowboarding is you need a beacon shovel and a probe. And there's a whole heap of other equipment, obviously, that you need, but they would be the, the prerequisite um, for us to see in the backcountry for people. And obviously, there's more training you can do. Um, you can do level two training, which is like a four day course. You can do two days of companion rescue training and days of end management training. So there's a whole suite of training products out there. Um, but your AST one is um, is sort of like your entry level recreational course to get you started in the backcountry. I'm sure that there will be an increase in maybe the level two training as well in the coming years once I guess people have more experience doing their first course. Do you run level two training as well? Yeah, we I've literally just finished running two back to back courses. So yeah, we do uh, a recap of of the theory um, on the first day and do some more advanced technical training with regards to snowpack and the crystals and stuff. Um, and then we do three days in the field. So the ability level for the level two people is generally we get people that are either looking to advance their learning or people that are possibly looking to move into the industry in the snow science industry or the guiding industry. Mm -hmm. They just want a little bit more experience before they probably go off and venture into a professional training um, product more of a recreational training product and you know we've run the avalanche we've run the level two training now for the last two years in australia so um yeah we're currently the only company delivering the level two training uh, i had one question on that um i guess you probably wouldn't really see them in australia but i know obviously in other parts of the world you know like new zealand and probably in, you know, Europe and North America, they would run mountaineering courses. And obviously your your um, company sort of stemming from Avalanche Canada, is there much 
sort of you know like moving up through the levels of of these um these avalanche courses does that like have scope to like move into mountaineering knowledge or like is there some sort of overlap there or is it just a completely different kettle of fish no we we offer mountaineering courses as well and we we do oh, also do? deliver yeah we also deliver wilderness first aid training alpine specific wilderness first aid training so you know we're probably the only provider out there that not only just does avalanche training but we also deliver um, ski mountaineering training we teach people how to snow camp um, so there's snow camping training the wilderness first aid obviously which is commonly referred as the 80 hour world um, advanced first responder or wilderness first responder training we offer that training as well so we're not just an avalanche company we're also we do various other alpine related training courses as well i was just saying where, where do you do the um the mountaineering course in australia that's that's pretty cool yeah, so the mountaineering course, it's it's what we call it a um, introductory mountaineering course. So it's it's fairly um, entry level where we we get the the students to understand boot crampons, ice axes. Uh, we make snow anchors. Um, we use them how show them how to do the basic belaying off rocks down into you know maybe if you had to try and ski a run where there was a, you know, we had to, you have to climb down a small cliff to get into the starts, the starting yeah. zone um, where you'd be able to just uh, rappel down a rock face using your crampons and your ATC device and your harness. And then, you know, learning how much equipment you'd have to leave up in the pictures up in the, in the rocks um, and not leave too much gear up there so that you can use it for another day. Um, yeah. We generally do that stuff outside the Threadbow Ski Resort up um up around the ram's head where there's some large rocks and uh, we, we teach self-arrest with ice axes and all sorts of stuff. But it's it's fairly entry level and it's generally aimed at people that are probably looking to go over to New Zealand to do a glacial travel course um, yeah. where they'll need to understand the equipment, how to tie the knots and you know how to use crampons and axes and how to do redundancy and doing fixtures and snow anchors and ice screws and all that stuff. So um, we offer that. So we desensitise the students before they get thrown in the deep end over in the, the big proper mountaineering courses that are run overseas. Yeah, ski mountaineering in New Zealand would be fun, yeah. I think. <laughs> I suppose um, we're kind of running out of time here, Adam, but I'm wondering how people learn more about these courses. Is there a website they can jump onto and find out more information? Yeah, so they can jump on the avalancheaustralia.com.au website and on there are the course providers. And then more specifically, you could go to our training company, which is snowsafety.com.au, which is Snow Safety Australia. And on there, it has all the avalanche, ski mountaineering, snow camping, wilderness first aid, um, and all that stuff. So, yeah, avalancheaustralia.com.au or snowsafety.com.au would be the two websites I would point you towards. Yeah, awesome. And uh, for all the listeners out there, definitely look at doing one of those courses yourself if you haven't done one already. I've heard many good things. But before we wrap up the show, Adam, I'm kind of really interested in your experience in Gulmarg. We only have uh, five minutes or so, but if you could tell us more about that and maybe when the first time you went over there and how it has now led into um, tours that you are now providing. Yeah, so I was approached by a, a tour company based in Melbourne to come over and do some consulting work in uh, oh, some avalanche training for not only the Westerners but for the local Kashmiri 
people and uh, went over there and delivered training to the ski patrol, Gulmarg ski patrol, and any of the foreigners that were in the village looking to get some avalanche training. And then about three years ago, I actually bought into the business. So I'm a partner now uh, of a company called DI5 Adventures and we run tours over in Kashmir. We uh, deliver training still through the DI5 company. Um, and yeah, so um, proper big mountain skiing, lots of vertical terrain, lots of steep, lots of, you know, waist deep powder. And in a part of the world which really hasn't been ruined yet by foreigners. So um, you might get 50 to 60 people on the hill a day. Um, it's basically a gondola assisted backcountry resort. Um, and yeah, you're doing two and a half thousand meters of vert every run. So um, average slope angle about 30 to 40 degrees. So good, steep, big mountains. And uh, yeah, it's cool to say that you go and work in the Indian Himalayas. Sounds absolutely incredible. I know Rich and myself have watched a few videos of skiing in Gulmarg and just been absolutely drooling over um, the prospect of going there. So we'll definitely have to get over there sometime soon. Let me know and we'll sort it out. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to uh, chew your ear off about that and uh, find out. Yeah, let's just more, hope this um, COVID disappears and we can do some travelling. Yeah, and fuck, geez, we were hoping that we could do some solid backcountry despite it, but uh, obviously things are taking their time. But look, there's some snow in the forecast, Adam, which is quite exciting, and, and hopefully it does come. Um, what are some things that you're kind of looking at just quickly when new snowfall comes down on something that's you know quite consolidated as a base and uh, trying to get the word out there about potential dangers? Yeah, look, um, with, a, with the warm weather at the moment, we're, we're getting this melt-freeze cycle going on on those top layers, so uh, melting during the day, freezing at night. Um, you know, the temperatures are sub-zero at the moment up on the main range, so we will get that sun crust forming. And, yeah, the biggest potential hazard is getting that new uh, wind slab. Um, the, you know, the wind always comes with that new snow, typically in Australia, so we will get, you know, a lot of loading on the lee aspects. And, you know, we just got to get out there and test the snowpark and see how well that new snow is bonding to those crusty surface layers that are there from the, the nice weather before the storm. Um, the lucky thing in Australia is we typically get rain before the snow turns up, so it softens that um, sun crust up a bit and hopefully it allows it to bond well um, to that new snow, snow layer that comes in with that storm cycle. Uh, but, yeah, look, we're out there testing two or three times a week the snowpack for its stability, and all those tests are actually um, uploaded onto the Avalanche Australia website with all the snow pit data. You know, we, we rank the primary concern and the size and the likelihood of it happening and where we will find those um, primary concerns on what aspects. So there's a, a distribution image there which you can have a look at to see where those hazards exist in the, on the compass. So, uh, yeah, two to three times a week we're out there testing that snowpack for safety. And do you, do you have um, – do you normally just do that somewhere nearby to Bo uh, or do you sort of have various locations uh, that you're testing at? We normally have two sites selected just to try and keep some repeatability in the tests. Um, so the sites yep. are 
um, selected. Obviously, we try to find sites that represent terrain that people are going to be skiing regularly. A lot of the good terrain in yep. New South Wales is in the sun on the lee slopes. So we we have two sites that we generally go out and test and uh, makes us, it makes it easier to check if we do it in the same spot how is how that snow is reacting before and after um, to try and keep the terrain as a constant in the snowpack testing. So um, there's areas outside of the Guthaga, just over the side of the Dam. And we also test some snow um, up, up the top near Threadbow. When you head out to those sites, what is it you're specifically looking for? Yeah, when we, when we, where we do our snow science or snow testing, we call, we, we call it representative terrain. So it's, it's got to be terrain that represents the terrain that you, you're typically going to ski. Um, and we try and find terrain that's, you know, at the upper end of the spectrum. So uh, we try and find steeper terrain because the results will be easier to get rather than doing testing on low angle stuff you're not going to get the results. So we try and test terrain that is at the upper levels of where people are generally going to be skiing. And, you know, we know where the majority of people ski on the main range. So we pick spots that, you know, represent that terrain that's generally skied by the public um, so that the results are indicative of, of, the, of that terrain where people are going to get themselves into trouble. Yeah, that's, that's certainly interesting. So I suppose you're, you're looking at um, certain aspects that are similar to say places like um club lake and things like that would that be a correct assumption yeah so you know we we test terrain that's you know in australia you know, you know all the good stuff is in the lee where all the wind the wind loaded snow is it's generally thicker um it's more fun to ski on um and unfortunately that lee slope is also in the sun which which isn't a good thing um so we we try and find you know those sorts of aspects that are similar to sort of Mount Tate, the Club Lake, Blue Lake area, um, the area around the Ram's Head and Dead Horse Gap, um, just so that people get an idea of if I do go and ski those aspects, you know, at those altitudes, what's the likelihood of an avalanche happening and will it be similar to the places where the guys are doing the snow testing? So it's it's got to be representative terrain that, the general public are skiing. Otherwise, the testing is really pointless. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That certainly makes me ask maybe where they're doing observations down here in Victoria. I know Mountain Sport Collective put out a few observations, but I'm not sure who sends those out. But I'm interested to know, speaking of collecting observations, it sounds like you've got a, a small team that kind of head out and, and do that as well. Yeah, so we, we've got a team of Avalanche Canada or Canadian Avalanche Association trained guys. Um, we've got a couple down in Victoria and quite a few up here in New South Wales. And um, the beauty of, you know, having all the guys being a Canadian Avalanche Association trained is that we all report on the same methodology. Uh, we do all the same testing as per the standards. So that, you know, it's got a reduce reproducibility of the results is very consistent so whether it's me or one of the other team members doing the testing it's all done to the same process and documented in the same language in the same format so that we can all understand the way those tests have been done and how to interpret the results 
Um, and that's the good thing about the avalanche industry. They've all sort of got together and, and standardised on the way it's done and the way it's reported. So makes everyone's life easier. So that, you know, if you have a look at the Avalanche Australia website and go to, you know, one in the US or in Canada or in Europe, all the logos are the same, um, all the terminology is the same and all the testing's the same. Um, so it's easy to interpret as a recreationalist. Yeah, for sure. That sounds really good. And it has been easy to interpret as a, as a recreationalist. And I only speak for the Instagram stuff that, you guys send out it's, it's very thorough and, and very detailed we're gonna have to applaud you on sending out such um good information to the to the public um i suppose at some point that can and have some challenges to it too and i was just wondering if you've you know got any scrutiny from people um about forecasting uh, just generally uh, you know about um heading out and getting observations is there anyone that's kind of been a naysayer in that regard um, yeah, I mean, there's always the haters out there that think we're we're out there just fear, you know trying to stir up and scare people. Um, the the funny thing is the the way that people interpret the danger is is interesting because when you say that the avalanche danger is low, it doesn't mean that there's no avalanche danger. Um, so understanding what low avalanche danger or considerable or high avalanche danger is is normally the problem that we face that people don't know how to interpret that green logo or the orange or the red one. Um, so just because it says low doesn't mean that there's a hundred percent chance of no avalanches. It's still, there will still be avalanching in low avalanche terrain, low avalanche danger, but it's just knowing what that term means and how do you interpret when you go skiing. Um, so yeah, look, we don't get a lot of it anymore. Um, you know, we, we did have quite a large avalanche in New South Wales last year and it did have a skier um, involvement and the guy was injured. Um, you know, and it just brings home that, you know, it does avalanche in Australia and, it, and sometimes it can be scare triggered and um, people get hurt and injured. You know, and there obviously have been fatalities in Australia from avalanches. Um, you know, it is very, a very low percentage of it, of the risk, but you know, it's not zero risk. There is a, there is always a, a residual risk there that you have to have in the back of your mind that, you know, if you do ski down that steep, lee, sunny slope, there is a risk that it could slide. And I think people are now, you know, now that it is available on social media and there are people loading Instagram photos of avalanches inbounds at Hotham and, inbounds in Perisher and Threadbow that it's becoming more accepted that training isn't it, it, it is required if you are venturing outside of that resort environment into the back country. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a really fantastic thing that what you're doing with Avalanche Australia, giving training out to people and, and morgues, I suppose that when COVID ends, we should uh, go jump on a course ourselves and and, and see what it's all about up in there in the New South Wales backcountry. Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm 100% keen to to come along and yeah participate in a course. Yeah, and we do deliver training in Victoria as well, so it's not just New South Wales. Um, so we do venture down to Victoria and deliver a couple of weeks of training a year. So uh, depending on where you're based, whether it be um, New South Wales or Victoria, the, the courses are available to the general public in most of the alpine areas of Australia. 
Yeah, is that the one at Hotham? Because I'm pretty sure I saw something a few years ago uh, about Avalanche training at Hotham as well. Yeah, so we run training at Hotham uh, at Falls Creek. Uh, we've actually, unfortunately, had to cancel the Victorian training this year. Yeah. Um, just due to the travel restrictions and the, you know, the COVID issue. Um, but we'll be back next year for sure down there um, doing the training out of Hotham. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there should no, be no reason why people don't jump on and get educated. Yeah, for sure. And I think that would be a great follow-up episode when those telly guys do one of your courses um, in Victoria next year. I don't know if the border will be open for us to jump across and do any this year. But, um, Adam, I want to thank you so much for coming onto the show. It's been great talking to you about avalanche safety in general and uh, how people can become more educated in that aspect. Yeah, and look, I always say to my students, you know, skiing is a, is, a, is a sport for fun and it's not something that you do to kill yourself. So um, the danger's there and your gut's telling you to go home and have a watch a movie or have a massage, then listen to your gut. You can always go skiing another day or another year. Don't let that skiing thing change your life. So that's the takeaway, I think, that people just need to know that you know, there's always another day to ski if the danger rating's elevated. No, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us, Adam. It's yeah, it's been great. It's been great to chat to you about yeah about the Avalanche Australia company that is. No, thank you guys for uh, having us on and uh, spreading the word about um, Alpine safety. It's great. Yeah, again, thanks, Adam and uh, Morgan. I will chat to you next week. Yeah, thank you, Richard. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, thanks, guys, and I hope to see you on the skin track one day. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll see you there. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. See See you later. Those telly guys hope you have enjoyed this program. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch at thosetellyguys at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe for more fun episodes. Otherwise, you can find us on Instagram. Thank you.